0: This morning, I want to take us my text, verse 8 of that reading from uh, Revelation chapter 3. We come to the uh, story of the church in Philadelphia. Not Philadelphia, USA, you understand, but Philadelphia in Asia Minor. I haven't quite got my little series finished, but uh, this is a very appropriate one at which to stop. So, verse 3 says, See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Back in the days of the British Empire, when vast areas of the map were colored red, many people from Britain made a good career for themselves, working in the service of the empire. They tended to take with them the familiar things of home a local parliament in the style of Westminster, law courts, tennis courts, cricket on the green, gentlemen's clubs, and old-school ties. It was all frightfully British, either because the folk involved yearned for the familiar things of home, or more likely because many of them aspired to these things and now had a chance to fulfill their dreams. In a way, it was a bit like that for this city of Philadelphia. It had been deliberately founded as a little colony of Greece. It was out on the frontier. Beyond lay the wilds of Phrygia. But Philadelphia was a place of comfort and civilization with Greek language, Greek culture, Greek food, Greek ideas, a Greek way of life. Those who founded the city saw it standing as it were at an open door, an ambassador, a missionary almost, for the glory that was Greece. Now, the risen Lord takes this picture and uses it to convey his message to the church in Philadelphia. Listen, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Notice first the church and her purpose. God has set before the church An open door of opportunity. They were to be a missionary church and to share something far nobler than the benefits of Greek civilization. The risen Christ had placed them there to be messengers of the good news, calling men and women to faith in Himself so that they might receive forgiveness for their sins and the gift of eternal life. Philadelphia was well placed to be a missionary church. It was built on one of the great Roman roads that headed out into the interior of the country. Merchants and traders, as well as Roman soldiers, passed through the city on their ways to and fro. What a place for Christian witness. What a place for missionary opportunity. You know, when you think about it, every church has its own particular opportunities given to it by Christ. I learned this lesson pretty early in my life because I grew up in a vibrant seaside congregation with an outreach to the burgeoning tourist community. But I had this lesson underlined for me when I came to work in Fitzroy a lifetime ago. Not only was it a sizable city church with a membership scattered all over the city and beyond it, just as it is today, it was also living in working in this particular area of the city, different now from then, but still a place of opportunity. In those days, there were people from many walks of life. It was close to the university as it is today, it was in the middle of bed sit land, it was full of students and nurses and young office workers. And every couple of years or so, the local churches got together, and we did a door-to-door survey. And we were able to draw all sorts of people into the congregation, some of whom became loyal and permanent members. I learned this lesson also in my former congregation in Ballycastle, We were a country church at the seaside, with some professional people, some retired people, a few farmers. But we were also a seaside church, so we had caravans, holiday homes, guest houses, summer camps, conference centers, youth groups down to stay at winter weekends we needed to stop and take stock as to how best we could go through God's open doors. I'm fascinated at the moment with what is happening in many of the great cathedrals of Britain. Once they were little better than museums, but today they draw millions of tourists, and many of them have wakened up the opportunities for mission in our godless generation. Many of them have staff members whose job it is to connect with outsiders and try to present the Christian faith in simple and memorable ways. One thinks of a great congregation like All Souls Langham Place just off Oxford Street. A generation ago, they wakened up to the fact that all the big stores on Oxford Street were in their parish, and they appointed a curate whose job it was to get to know those who worked in the big stores, many of them in digs in the city, some of them quite hard strapped for cash, many of them lonely troubled, ill at ease. Or one thinks of a congregation like Holy Trinity Brompton and how they have connected with a young adult generation, gifted, wealthy, progressive young people who have come in themselves and drawn in their friends through Alpha Courses, Or here's an example of a very different kind. I read recently about the tiny Church of Scotland Parish Church of Luss. Only a hundred souls belong in that congregation, but it has been described as the jewel in the crown of Scotland's first national park. Seventy-five thousand visitors pass through that little church every year. And they have wakened up to the possibility. They are seeking, not least through their internet, to plan new and imaginative ways of connecting with people and sharing the gospel. I was speaking to a former assistant of mine this summer in a seaside congregation in Northern Ireland and they too have used the internet and have seen their visitor numbers strikingly increase over the past summer. There is not a congregation in the land, be it large or small, but has an open door of opportunity for mission. We need to work out What are the tasks God is guiding us to attempt for him? I'm sure that's central to your new minister's thoughts and prayers at this very time. Pray with him. Search with him what God wants you to do. Pray for wisdom and vision for how best we can reach out and then tackle the task Go for it with enthusiasm and joy. The church and her purpose. But this letter speaks also of Christ and his power. Verse 7. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Those words point us to the church's Lord. He is indeed the Holy One. He is perfection itself, for that is the meaning of the word true in this context. What claims Jesus makes about himself? You remember his words that we used in our opening sentence this morning. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. What do we make of these words? As Christ himself asked his disciples who do you say that I am? Christians believe that Jesus is indeed truly and fully human and also truly and fully God. But how seriously do we take our own claims? If Jesus is truly God, and if all power has been given to him, then why are we so slow to believe him and trust him and obey him and draw on his power? Look again at verse 7. He holds the key of David. In our Old Testament reading, we read about Eliakim to whom alone was given the right to admit someone into the presence of the King. Our Lord Jesus admits those who believe in him into the very presence of God. And not only that, he opens to us doors of service, doors of opportunity to do the work he specially wants each of us to carry out for him. How does Christ guide us? How does he enable us to do his will? Listen. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Yes, sometimes Christ shuts a door and no one can open it. Do you remember how Paul and Silas wanted to go into Bithynia? They were sure this was the right thing for them to do. This was the next logical step in mission. But God shut the door and said to them, no, not Bithynia. He led them instead to Troas, where they were given the vision of the man from Macedonia pleading with them to come over and help them. And so they were given the opportunity to cross into Europe and to proclaim the gospel of Christ there with consequences of which we are the heirs today. We need to think carefully about the shut doors in our lives. Sometimes when we try to open a door, it shuts in our face and we feel disappointed, frustrated, maybe angry with God when we ought to be thankful for this is part of the way God guides us. And when he shuts one door, watch this space, for he will shortly open another. Sometimes he shuts a door, and sometimes he opens a door and no one can shut it. What a thrill it is when we see God's doors opening in front of us. Recently, I read these words written by Dr. John Stott. Thank God there are many open doors for mission in the world today. But we must also face the reality of closed doors elsewhere. One is the legal door, the power of hostile governments to curtail religious liberty. Another is the cultural door, the power of alien ideas to prejudice people's minds. A third is the ethnic door, the power of national loyalties to confuse religion with patriotism. And then this wonderful sentence, We need to keep our eyes on the great key in Christ's hand. I love that phrase. We need to keep our eyes on the great key in Christ's hand. What doors has God set open for you? I've hinted at some already when I was talking to our little group of children. Maybe for you it's a Sunday school class that needs a teacher, some other job in the congregation that needs doing, some job that hasn't been invented yet, but would oil the machinery of this congregation. Maybe it's some piece of service in the local community that's crying out for Christian presence, Maybe it's a neighbor who has asked for your prayers. Maybe it's someone and what they're really asking you is, how can I be a Christian? And what would it mean for me? And would God have me as one of His followers? Moments like that come in so many of our lives if we take them. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. The door is open wide. Failure comes when we refuse to go through God's open door and start out on the way he wants us to go. The church at Philadelphia was only a small congregation in an alien community. But it didn't fail. And this letter is a letter of praise for a church that had learned to lean on Christ and draw on His power. And so finally, let's think about the conqueror and his promise like all the rest of these seven letters this letter finishes with words of promise for those who are faithful to the lord and who take up the challenges he sets before them verse 10 since you have kept my command to endure patiently i will also keep you From the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Christ promises that God will protect his people and give them the strength they need for every hour of testing. Verse 9. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. The time will come when their enemies will bow before them and will acknowledge that it was God, God, who was on their side. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. And so it goes on. Two very interesting points in these verses. Let me read from a little further down. Never again will he leave it, the temple of God. Never again will the one who overcomes leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. Two very relevant facts lie behind these words. The city of Philadelphia was prone to earthquakes, and people were always having to move out. That's the first. And the second interesting fact is, the city of Philadelphia had several times changed its name. But what the Risen Christ is saying here is this. Those who are faithful will not have to move out anymore. There awaits them an eternal home secure and indestructible. And I have written upon them the name of things that cannot change, the name of God, the name of heaven, the name of Christ himself. They belong to him, and their true home is not in any earthly city, but in that city that is to come, whose builder and maker is God. One final little thing. As you look around this church, you see some memorial plaques. Listen to the start of verse 12 Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Just as we have memorials in many of our churches, so too in the temples of the ancient world. Today, They are crumbled into the dust. Only fragments remain to give us a clue to what they once were. But the risen Christ says to his believing people, My dear friends, you have a memorial that will abide. You are not dead. You will be gloriously alive One day, the door of death will open, and Christ will summon us all. No one can shut that door, and no one can refuse to make that journey. And no one can retrace their steps or live again their life on earth. Or recapture those precious opportunities to serve God by going through His open doors. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Are you grasping your opportunities? William Wright was an elder in Fitzroy about a century ago, and he wrote a hymn which found a place in the Revised Church Hymnary, and in CH3, and in the New Irish Presbyterian Hymn Book. We're going to sing it at the close of the service. But the last two lines of it are very special, and they are an echo of verse 11. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. Have you gone through God's open doors? Are you grasping the opportunities he gives you personally and as a congregation Then, O my soul, if faithful now, a crown of life awaits thy brow. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for doors that close and doors that open. Help us to go through the open doors of opportunity you set before us to serve you gladly and faithfully as you would have us do. Until at last you call us on to serve you in the joy of your everlasting kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.